1: Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. We just finished an awesome episode with Jay Malik. So Jay is the founder of Countdown Capital, which is a venture capitalist firm down in uh, Missouri. What city was he in again? Columbus, I believe. Columbus, that's Mm -hmm. right. Uh, And really awesome episode. So he's doing some really awesome stuff right now across the board. He's uh, like I said, a venture capitalist. He's a mentor and an advisor in many organizations. He's really got his uh, plate full, but he chooses to spend the majority of his time on ethics, which I think is really important. We had a great conversation around ethics, and it's something that we want to talk about more. Uh, and and you know, Logan, why don't you go into why you know you think we should talk about ethics some more?
0: Yeah. So you know, he's focused on ethics as it relates to, as he calls it, deep tech. Uh, So he wants to make sure that as these new technologies are being developed, it's going to be kind of the next wave of innovation and change that's introduced to society, that the people who are developing them are going about them uh, consciously, developing these companies and building these companies in a conscious way. And we had a cool conversation about where this stems from in terms of the philosophy behind it. But, you know, I was thinking as we're interviewing Jay, you know, when social media companies were being built, I think now we're seeing the consequences of not thinking about these issues before they arise. You know, with social media, perhaps they have somewhat of a hall pass because it's it was probably p- pretty hard to predict what social media platforms were actually going to turn into. But what Jay is doing is trying to prevent that same kind of scenario from happening with things like artificial intelligence and the algorithms that power some of the, the technology of tomorrow and, and things like companies that are operating in space. The really big technological breakthroughs that I think we're going to be seeing here in the next 10 to 15 years, he is really focused on making sure the ethics are baked into every step of that.
1: Yeah, because the the consequences are you know, you've got bias built into these algorithms. You've got climate change issues, which we're really feeling right now in, in many parts of the world. And you've got diversity problems. And when you don't have diversity, you know you don't have... Uh, difference in opinions. You don't have different perspectives that can go into the product and help those products, you know, cater to more people, uh, and ultimately be more appropriate to the general audience. You know, there's a lot of things that that get built that are, you know, not appropriate, you know, for the general public, and they put people in harm's way. And so, really making sure that uh, you consider those consequences as you're building the product is important. And you know, I've been studying, you know, people like Mark Benioff, who's been screaming about this for a long time. There's you know, there's There's stakeholders, you know, not only that are your uh, stockholders, you know, your own employees and not just your customers, but there's a second degree stakeholder. You know, there's your customers' customers and the products that you're building. You got to make sure you consider every person that could possibly touch that product from an ethical standpoint. uh, And, you know, Jay's doing that. So this is a great conversation. Really encourage you to, to listen and really begin to think about ethics in the way that that plays into product development. Uh, So this is an awesome episode. Let's get into it. All right, guys. So
0: before we dive into these interviews, we just want to take a second to highlight our sponsors. They're going to be sponsoring season four of the Middle Tech Podcast. Uh, So the first one we're going to go over is Land Betterment Corporation. So they're going to be sponsoring, like I said, all of season four, and they're working hard to bring sustainable developments to uh, Eastern Kentucky, places that need it so badly, what they're doing is taking old and abandoned uh, coal mines and strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place that can help support those communities. So definitely go and check them out. Their website is landbetterment.com. They're doing some awesome things in this region.
1: Yeah. Next, we've got uh, Brandon Johnson. So I've personally worked with Brandon Johnson. Uh, He is a lawyer and attorney that works with uh, businesses, specifically startups in this region. Uh, He is from Kentucky. He's from Fordsville, Kentucky. He got his law degree from the University of Louisville. Uh, He's worked with Papa John's, Louisville Slugger, Instagram influencers that are making millions of dollars, real estate investors, you name it. Uh, But he loves what he does. He really loves helping small businesses, helping entrepreneurs get the right footing uh, because one of the most important parts of starting your business, if you're serious about it, is getting an attorney, making sure that all of your documents and corporation documents, uh, operating agreements, shareholder agreements, things of those nature are in check. And Brandon is there to help you with that. And again, I've worked with him uh, and he does a great job. He makes it fun. He's very personable and I enjoyed uh, working with him. So we appreciate him for for sponsoring this season.
0: All right, go ahead and dive into it.
1: All right, Jay, thanks for joining us, man.
2: Thanks for having me. Really, yeah. really appreciate it. It's very Absolutely. Exciting.
1: So Nico on our team got us connected. Uh, We were very excited about that. We've been making a concerted effort to kind of expand out of Kentucky a little bit. You know, we've got a good base audience here in Kentucky Wanted to get a little bit more broad uh, and thought you were a perfect guest. You know, you're working with some really uh, cool stuff right now. So we wanted to, to highlight a lot of that and talk about some really important subjects, you know, deep tech and the ethics around that is really important, especially right now. We're seeing a lot of the side effects happening, you know, in our society along those lines. So excited to jump into it. Before we do any of that, though, let's jump into your background, man. So talk about where you're from, education, and your professional uh, background, you know, up until, let's say, Countdown Capital or the last couple of years.
2: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So uh, again, thanks for having me. I am from Secaucus, New Jersey, born and raised in New Jersey, went to NYU for school, did business and political economy at NYU Stern and philosophy at NYU, and recently moved to the Midwest about a couple of years ago been in Columbia, Missouri since then, and my entire career can really be summed up as a product manager turned investor. So I worked at a couple of deep tech startups early on in my career, was the first hire at my first startup, was the first product hire at my second startup, was fortunate enough to work with some incredible people along the way, specifically building AI ML products. And after I was done with the startup world, I shifted towards investing. You know, I was, I was uh, on the investment team at Rocana Ventures. Which is a food and beverage and food tech VC firm. While I was angel investing myself in deep tech companies, and uh, very recently, you know, right before Christmas, decided to, to take the plunge and start raising my first fund for Countdown Capital. So, that's me. That's my story.
0: Yeah, and just something else that I wanted to touch on real quick for our listeners. Uh, you know, I've started purposefully trying to curate my social media feeds with people who talk about things that I'm interested in and things that I want to learn about. And you've got a pretty cool Twitter personality uh, going on or Twitter account rather. Talk about the strategy of doing that as it relates to investing. It seems like you've built a really robust community
2: around you. So to be very honest, I mean there's no strategy. You know, my my driving goal of using Twitter has been how do I get more people involved in conversations that usually happen not behind closed doors, but usually happen between people in the industry and in VC. And so I started tweeting about things that I think many VCs talk about pretty much on a daily basis. And I I just try to be as engaged as possible, right? So if people have an interesting perspective and they're engaging with, engaging with me, I really don't care who they are. I'm going to engage with them, right? Because I want to learn something. So um, yeah, I don't think there's been a strategy. It's more like just give back to people, learn from people. And you know, don't take yourself too seriously. I think that's been the number one thing here, because you know, I think a lot of people talk about building a brand on Twitter and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm anti-brand. I mean, I'm just myself, and I and I try to get other people to engage in, in the same way. I like that perspective
0: a lot. Uh, so let's start diving into what you're what you're involved in. So when we first hopped on that intro call to get to know each other, it just seems like you're doing all sorts of stuff. So kind of walk us through what's on your plate right now, and then let's start by talking about time management because it seems like it'd be a lot to try and, and fit all this on your plate. Yeah,
2: I mean, you totally nailed it. It's it is a lot, and I find myself struggling many times. Um, but you know, short recap of what what's happening right now is, you know, a most importantly working on content capital. So that means not just fundraising, which is what we're doing for the next 12 months, likely, but also talking to founders, identifying potential investments, operational work, you know, obviously talking to our lawyers, making sure that we have the right structure in place, any sort of tax planning, everything that goes into running a fund and investing through a fund and fundraising for a fund is exactly what I'm doing right now. So that's Number one, most important, what takes my day-to-day, what also gives me the most pleasure day-to-day, as you can imagine, given that this is somewhat of my dream. So that's the number one thing. The second thing I'm, I've am i been helping with and founded in terms of the idea, but I'm not a day-to-day participant in, is a venture called Mission Control, which is essentially a deep tech accelerator, that is bringing startups to students at Midwestern universities. So we signed a pilot agreement with the University of Missouri. We also have a, a trial ongoing with Washington University in St. Louis, where we're basically matching deep tech startups with students and providing them, i.e. the students, with education on how to build a startup and how to work at a startup along the way by connecting them with fireside chats with, you know, some top industry folks. So. Um, that's not really a day-to-day sort of task for me. It's, it's more strategic. It's something that I'm on the board for, but I just don't, I don't spend a lot of time given what I've been doing at Countdown. So that would be the second thing. The third is just, you know, numerous advisory roles, mentoring roles for startups, for entrepreneurs, currently venture mentor and advisor at University of Missouri. I'm also a venture partner at Republic. I'm a mentor at Mass Challenge. I'm a mentor at Plug and Play. So it's, you know, basically doing monthly time commitments with founders that come out of those incubators or accelerators and or founders that I have a good personal relationship with that just want to, uh, I guess, pick my brain for a certain amount of equity, you know? So that's, uh, that's basically what I've been up to. And in terms of time management, um, I mean, I'll be very honest. I sleep probably four hours a day. I don't get much sleep, as you can probably tell. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's it's definitely not something which I want to be doing for the next, like, I, I don't want to be sleeping four hours a day for the next five years. But I do think that once we do finish fundraising, things will probably ease up a little bit in terms of the, the sleep schedules and that sort of thing. And I'm definitely looking forward to that at some point. So um, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's the long and short of it. But Happy to dig into anything specific.
1: Yeah, no, no, am going to go into specifics. You know, I think the, the key takeaway, and this is what I took away from that, is you know, at our at our age, you know, when you're young, you gotta bust your ass and get get out there and, and chase what you wanna do. And you're doing exactly that. And you know, if you had if you had one one tip, let's keep this brief because I really want to talk about countdown capital and some of the stuff you're doing there. But if you had one tip for time management, you know, real quick, what would it be?
2: Make sure you allocate time for yourself. I think a lot of people think about time management as how to manage your work schedule time management is actually the opposite it's how do you manage your personal schedule in my in my scenario so how do i make sure that i have at least an hour a day to think or an hour a day to just relax and do things that i love doing right um that's the real time management that's the issue it's not the the meetings will always be there the people will always want will want to have calls the question is how much are you willing to give yourself um yeah. and so I think really setting some strong limits on what you are willing to, do, what you're not willing to do, how much of yourself you want to give up, uh, and ensuring that you have good health is really, really important and not prioritized enough in this ecosystem.
1: Yeah, I think I think entrepreneurs, you know, struggle with that. Anybody that's really chasing something, you know, tends to struggle with that. So that's that. I agree with you. You know, got to take time to just give yourself attention and, and ease your mind and focus on things that might not be work that you just enjoy doing. So let's let's now transition into the meat of the conversation that I really wanted to get to, and I'm sure our audience does. Uh, Countdown Capital. Before we get into deep tech or anything, just define Countdown Capital, what your all's mission is, and kind of the area area of the the industry you're playing in.
2: Sure. So Countdown Capital is a five million dollar VC firm, at least Fund One is, investing in pre-seed and deep tech, uh, pre-seed and seed stage deep tech founders, committed to machine ethics. And you're probably wondering what is deep tech, right? So deep tech is, uh, depending on who you ask, there's a lot of different definitions, okay? There are people that will say that it's it's basically technology that's not software. There are people that will say that deep tech is anything that is uh, capital intensive or takes a lot of money to build or a lot of IP. In my opinion, deep tech is best described when you think about IP. And so anything that possesses strong IP or IP that is disruptive compared to an existing paradigm or solution framework towards a problem is something that should be just considered deep tech. So it doesn't necessarily need to be software. It doesn't necessarily need to be industrial or anything. It just has to have IP that's really, really strong and or really, really challenging or disruptive to what's currently being used. So that's the best way I would describe it. But again, there is no conventional definition. There are people that will say that deep tech is only X, Y, Z. It's a growing debate and I love to have it, but yeah, my, my answer is not the right one, basically. It, there's yeah. no right answer.
1: I, I really hadn't heard the phrase deep tech all that much recently. I've seen it flo- float around on Twitter every once in a while. But I never really dove into it, and when I I did Google it, so you know to prepare for this, I did Google it. And some of the some of the general technologies that came up that was described as deep tech, were artificial intelligence, blockchain, things that are kind of going on behind the scenes that a, a user does not necessarily interface with. That was my definition that I saw, and and once I started digging in, it made sense why ethics would be so important, you know, in that realm. So talk to me why, and explain to me why you know, you'd put that focus on ethics in relation to deep tech? What, why did you see the
2: need to do that? Yeah. You know, I think the best way to talk about that is with a simple phrase, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So deep tech has, many deep tech products have the potential to revolutionize the way we interact with the world, the way businesses interact with each other, the way we produce things, the way we, you know, consume things. It, it can infiltrate every aspect of society. There's not just AI, right? AI, obviously, people like to talk about how AI is going to take over the world, singularity, that sort of thing. But there are other technologies like AR, VR, you know, micro-machining, new space, and, and hypersonic jets, and those sorts of things that really are very, very different from what we currently live with. And so the question is always, how do we make products safe for people to use and businesses to use while making sure that they provide a lot of value in the world? Right. And what I've seen a lot of VC firms focus on in the space traditionally has been focusing on what are the most disruptive technologies and basically perpetuating a sense of optimism about them. But the issue is that if we want products to coexist and to be able to live in a society, not just live as an investment, we need to make sure that the products are existing within a certain regulatory framework, A, B, make sure that they actually are good for people and ultimately can can be products that survive for the long term that won't you know essentially either cannibalize us as humans or get completely cannibalized by regulation which can totally happen so the the need for ethics is is very central it just comes down to you know, why do you think, or what do you think the role of products are in a society, right? I think many of these will say that the goal of investing is to make money. I would also agree, but the goal of products is not necessarily just to make money. The goal of products is to add value to people and to add value to society as a whole. And so, machine ethics is central to ensuring that products do add value for our, our total society and, and politic, if you will, not just the investors that are investing in it.
0: So, yeah, I'm glad that you have that focus on ethics because when you take it back a couple steps into the past and you think about this new wave that happened when social media came about, you know, I'm not sure if there was a lot of people that were really focused on the ethics that needed to go into how these social media platforms were built. And now we're seeing the consequences of that. We're seeing all of these issues arising with these giant tech companies that are the platforms that we now communicate on. So, I also see that coming in soon with with things like artificial intelligence and companies in space. This is, I feel like that is gonna be the next wave of really big change technology coming in. So, you know, what are some of the what are some of the ethics that are most important for you to focus on when when working with founders mm-hmm. as it relates to some of those deep tech products? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I so I would say the number one concern that is top of mind of most Technologists and companies today, which is also something we focus a lot on, is algorithmic bias. Essentially, what types of bias exists in either input data sets or output that AI or ML powered companies uh, are either producing or inputting. So, essentially, like how do you debias your companies and and its core architecture, right? So, um, that's definitely one really important issue. The second is actually I think privacy related, and so. A lot of companies, especially, again, like AI, ML, big data-driven companies, are concerned about how to collect and also store personal information or or customer information, and relatedly, whether their products are spying on people, quote-unquote, how can they basically mitigate those effects that could come to bite them at some point, right? So I'll give you an example. There's a company in my portfolio called Foresight AI, and they're building computer vision-enabled products to essentially monitor safety risks on construction sites. And so they have cameras set up on various construction sites in the Midwest. And they're basically trying to see if there are gonna be falling objects, for example, that are gonna hurt people, right? Now the negative, uh, there's a there's a somewhat negative uh, externality from, from this product in that they are collecting data on people that are on the site, right? So what times are people standing there, right? Are they wearing anything that's protective? Are they going to the bathroom a lot? Like. Basically, this product could be used to, in a malevolent way, could be used to, to actually monitor productivity of workers. Not just things that are falling on the site, right? So, how do you make sure that data is data that's being inputted into your platform is a being charitable to some of the other workers in the site that don't even necessarily know that they're being watched, right? And then, b, how do you store the data within the actual database that you have that's not personally identifiable? And then, c, if you know that people are not going to be partial towards having cameras on site spying on them. What can you do to structure a sale so that you can better uplift people that you're going to be hurting? So for example, one idea we've been throwing around with Foresight is every sale you do with a supervisor a construction site must have 2% of revenue go to a fund towards employees or construction workers, right? So you create some sort of revenue stream or, or some sort of compensation to try to mitigate some of the negative effects that you are definitely bringing to the equation, right? So there are tons of different ways you can tackle you can tackle it. I'm sure we'll get into it in this podcast, but um, that's another issue that we're looking at: privacy. You know, final one would definitely be diversity and inclusion. I think every startup we work with today is thinking about how to add people to their team that are you know come from come from diverse backgrounds or underrepresented backgrounds, and it's not just about adding people that will be from those backgrounds, but also putting in the right processes to make sure you're not um uh, discriminating against people. Right. So um that's one of the lowest hanging fruit that we do help companies with, but again, still very important.
1: Was there a personal event in your life or something that you saw that, that bothered you that made you want to put the focus on ethics in the first place? You know, what what pointed you in that in that direction to begin with?
2: Yeah, I mean so there are a number of reasons why I personally relate to ethics and, and you know the value add we're trying to provide here. On a personal note, without even getting to problems I've experienced building products myself, I studied philosophy in college. I was extremely extremely passionate about uh, philosophy of mind, philosophy of technology philosophy of language, which are all usually very central to technology, right? If you think about it, out of philosophy of language came first order logic, out of first order order logic came the first computer programming language, right? So it's all connected in in different threads. And so I've always been interested um, in ethics and technology ethics and other broader questions. And so it's always been top of mind for me to find a way to bring philosophy into a more practical domain.
1: Yeah. One thing I, I did really appreciate is you know, it's it's great to talk about ethics, um, and you know, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. But I love how you are actually pitching what you're doing as, you know, this is good business decisions too. You know, down the road, but leads to better results. Not only are you uh, saving a good amount of liability by, you know, consciously building, you know, a product related to ethics. You know, down the road, if you if you don't do that, you know, look at the liability that other that companies are now facing. You know, the facebooks of the world and and, and many, you know, that are receiving lawsuits due to you know many of the problems you mentioned earlier but also it makes their customers you know happier knowing that that thoughtfulness went into the product you know it does help for their own sales pitches that when you consider ethics when you're designing your products you know it, it helps in many ways I like how you're tying that together because a lot of people like to talk about ethics right because it's 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 a, it's definitely important to talk about but the substance around it has you know been you know, let's let's make people feel good and things of that nature and you know you got to connect it to know, business results. And I think you did a a really good job of that because you're right, you know, diversity drives, you know, better business, more opinions, more perspectives. And when you focus on, you know, things like climate, you have so many stakeholders as a company, you know, if you, if you, I love what Mark Benioff likes to talk about, you know, you can't just think of your, your stockholders, you know, it's, there's a whole ecosystem of stakeholders. I really love when he talks about that. Um, And then, you know, of course, with algorithms, you know, we already touched on that. If you don't control your algorithms early, they could get out of control. Uh, and so I really appreciate the way you connect it to the business, which is Thank an important you. step that many people, you know, kind of overlook. They just like to talk about it. Now, I did mention, you know, while I was speaking there, conscious product development. That's something that, you know, I actually haven't had an opportunity to read much about. So what does that look like? So as a company is designing their products and they're designing them consciously, how do you step in and say, hey, let's make sure we're doing this consciously? Talk about what that looks like to to design
2: something consciously. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, it goes back to this idea of how do you bring ethics into the engineering process, right? So if you're building a hypersonic aircraft, for example, or a supersonic aircraft, and you know that in most cases, this is going to burn a lot of fuel, right? What can you do at the very early stage to start identifying suppliers that will give you... Uh, a leg up or at least some mitigation towards environmental impact that you might have that's going to be negative, right? Similarly, if you're working on, for example, a self-driving vehicle, and you know that there will be dilemmas that will come up where you may have to choose between a pedestrian's life and the passenger's life in some very, very specific edge cases, what sorts of research can you do now to try to arrive at some good, solid processes, not just ones that are legally sound, but also will protect your reputation and will essentially leave the most people off as much as you can, uh, such that you're, you're creating some sort of ethical impact in the world, right? So it comes down to when you are building your product and when you are engaging in the engineering process, it's just really important to be engaged with the kinds of issues on a big picture level that your product can have. And so what we aim to do with founders is, A, educate them on what are these issues that could be relevant for your product? B, as you're developing your product, what are the key action steps that you can take um, to try to mitigate some of these impacts? Or, or what are the, the types of different technological or engineering workarounds that you can do to try to mitigate some of the negative impact? And then C, once you've, you've sort of developed your product, How can you work with stakeholders outside of the company to quantify the impact that you'll have and and give some backing towards some of the decisions you've made? So, um, yeah, the the product development process is multi-layered. Conscious product development at the heart is just bringing ethics into the engineering process and, and just being aware of the fact that regardless of the type of tech product that you produce, there will be some ethical issues, dilemmas, or certain options that you have at your disposal to explore. And our goal is to bring those options to the forefront of engineering teams and founders.
0: Hmm. And, you know, something that that I've kind of been thinking about as you've been talking through conscious development is everyone wants to have ethics and and be ethical, but everyone kind of derives where those ethics come from and, and how they interpret different situations and different issues. And when we talked on our call, you mentioned that you were you were into philosophy, and that's kind of where some of this originated in terms of how you solve these problems. Talk about uh philosophy for a second, in terms of how it helps you frame these issues, and maybe even give some shout-outs to to recommended readings that you think would be <laughs> good for the readers to dive into if they're if they're interested. You know, that's a good question.
2: Philosophy is a really, really challenging discipline. At the very nature of what it is supposed to do is to challenge you to think. And so the best way I can describe how philosophy has influenced the way I, I frame issues and think about companies is never to be ideological, if that makes sense. So I think there's a lot of there are a lot of people out there, whether it's politics or or nonprofits or even nvc itself that have certain fixed beliefs about how the world needs to work and what what things are, like, for example, I think a lot of people view impact investments as being ones that will contribute to UN sustainable goals and that sorts of things, right? My goal has always been never to pigeonhole myself in that. I want to find people that are really, really disruptive, that hate the status quo, that want to do things that are really rebellious, but also can be persuaded to be more ethical. That's always been the way I look at it. So I think that a lot of different founders in today's a lot of different vcs in today's uh, sort of impact ecosystem are looking for founders with a specific archetype and they frame their entire worldview around creating good in the world right i don't think i will uh, the way i look at it is it's not a grand vision to create good in the world in the sense where i don't know if i don't think i can do that right what i want to make sure is my founders are thinking about it and they can do it and so having that framing around Wanting to find disruptive people, people that want to challenge the status quo, people that are that don't just fit in one bucket of what impact means—that all comes through philosophy.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% resonate with that. I stumbled across you know philosophy in high school because I had some ethics classes and went down the rabbit hole on YouTube, and it changed my life. Like it was, <laughs> it's funny like, if you go back and look at my Twitter from high school, you, I, people were like, "What the hell are you tweeting, Evan? Oh, like what yeah, is yeah, going yeah. on?" Oh, so, yeah, go back and do that, that but. You know, it's just like it, it definitely opened my mind, you know, it definitely opened my mind to much more out there and, and had me look introspectively and just really explore my own boundaries of of my own mind. You know, I was so used to being taught things. And when you stumble down the philosophy rabbit hole, you know, you're more you become a kind of an explorer of ideas, which is really um, what I what I now love. I, that's what I do. You know, I love that. Yes, um, so, absolutely. yes, for for people listening, if you haven't really gotten into philosophy yet or you just haven't really given at the time, I really encourage you to, I know, you know, Logan appreciates that he's getting an appreciation. What would, when would you say the last few years? I don't even know if it's a couple of years. I
0: think started taking it seriously after you showed me some, some of the YouTube videos that you dove into. That was when I really kind of took root in it. And like Jay said, it's about, it's teaching you how to think and how
1: to think critically and how to look at problems from different angles. And especially in 2020, it helps you back out. Yeah. You know, you're in, <laughs> in life. You're like, always like, you know, what's in front of you. But when you think about philosophy, it's it's much more bigger picture thinking, mm-hmm. uh, and things of that of that nature. So, uh, okay, we got some random questions for you. You've got sure uh, a lot going on. You've got your hands in a lot of things. You see a lot of amazing things. So, we got a few random questions for you, and just get your opinions on it. on some things. First, let's talk about space. Uh, coolest thing you see <laughs> going on in space? Because I saw you're a big fan of it.
2: Yeah, I love space tech. You know, there's so many incredible things happening right now in space. Um, probably the most exciting thing right now, at least in 2020, was in space manufacturing. So seeing startups like Varda, OrbitFab, even, you know, try to build products in space and with the goal of bringing them back to the back back to the Earth um, and make them ultra just way more effective than products we have here has been really really cool to see. It also means that. It, if we have in-space manufacturing, that we have a launch ecosystem that can support that. And so I think there are tons of startups out there that are working on reusable rockets and those sorts of things. And that's really important. That's the only way we can get to that final frontier, you know? So yeah, most, I think the coolest thing right now has to be in-space manufacturing, but let's not forget about just some of the fundamental developments that are happening in launch as well. And SpaceX is definitely at the forefront of that, you know?
0: Yeah. A company that you need to check out just while we're on the topic of space. We just, they're actually our first episode in season four company here in Lexington called Space Tango. So what they're doing, yeah, what they're doing is they're working with the International Space Station and SpaceX to send automated science experiments up to the International Space Station and these little cube labs. Uh, So they put all these sensors and agitators, all sorts of different things, and they're sending human cells, plants. They sent, you know, beer up into space, all these different experiments, and they're running them on an automated basis where this cube lab can go in and alter the cells in a certain way. And then it, it takes the readings from all of those experiments, beams them right down to Lexington. So just had to give space, space. Yeah, you should check it out for sure. They're, they're
1: pretty oh, 100%. early, pretty early really in their cool. journey.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds very cool.
1: All right. In relation to artificial intelligence, jump back on that boat real briefly. And, you know, this is a company that is taking ethics into consideration. OpenAI, you know, they yeah. were founded to bring more ethics and more openness to the you know to the space of artificial intelligence because they don't want particular companies like Google or Amazon to have that and condense it behind their own you know walls you know that should be something that everybody has access to and one of the cooler releases that they've done that they opened limit you know limited API access to was GPT-3 give us your thoughts on that and what that means for you know us going forward
2: yeah i mean look it's groundbreaking they uh... They basically unlocked an entire wave of new startups that are going to try to use some of the work that's been done and just create uh, way more precise products out of it. So there are a couple of of companies already that I'm really bullish on. One of them is called Other Side AI. That's basically built an automated email responder using GPT-3. So literally like responding to your emails in your voice, using your words, given the topic. And uh, yeah, I fully expect to see more products that are built off of GPT-3 in the very near future that are going to be just so much more precise than we could have ever imagined. So yeah,
1: it it, yeah. it blew my mind when I started reading and seeing examples of what people are building with that. You know, the the Figma plugins, there's a cool startup I've been kind of tracking called Copy AI, where you just, you know, basically writes all your copy for your website. Yeah, so yeah. There's just yeah. a lot of crazy oh, stuff that people amazing. are building. Yeah. All yeah. right. Last... Uh random question before we get into middle America. We've got a few questions related to what it's like uh, being in middle America. But before then, if you have one piece of advice for somebody that wants to start their investment career, whether that's seed investing, whether they want to get involved in a venture capital firm, what's the most important thing somebody should consider before they get started?
2: So, you know, investment career is broad, right? It doesn't just mean early stage, it can be late stage, mid stage, whatever. I think the best thing you can do for yourself is to develop a really, really deep passion for what kinds of investing you want to do. And whatever you do, do not do what other people are doing. So if other people are doing scouts, scouting things or internships or whatever, focus on things that you know you can do really well and focus on amplifying your own voice. So use Twitter, use social media, be creative about how you get your voice out there and how you interact with your core demographic, whether it's early stage founders or public companies if you're into hedge you know into public investments or hedge funds or whatever. I would just be very, very aware of the fact that the world is flat, everybody is is competing for the same kinds of jobs. And to just really be be dedicated towards being a disruptive thinker yourself. And that means not just having a deep passion for something, but just doing things that others are not doing. So yeah, I would I would personally purposely go against what people do, just to make sure that you are able to get some attention around what you're you're doing and not get lost in the crowd.
0: The road less traveled by. Love that. All right. So as Evan mentioned, we'd like to move into uh, middle America and and what the venture capital and startup scene looks like in in middle America. So you're down in in Missouri. uh, So you have this good broad view of things that are going on kind of between the coasts. What is middle America doing well right now to start? Well,
2: I'll tell you what's going. What is good for them? I don't know if it's if it's being done right. Okay, so what's good here? A cost of living is super low. I mean, my rent in Missouri is literally four hundred dollars a month. I mean, I, 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 you know, I used to live in Boston. I was in I was in New York. I was in New Jersey, and my monthly rent at all of those places was above fifteen hundred. Right. So coming here has been like wow. Like you just added my You just, you know, created 50%, giving you like a salary boost, right right there. So obviously, you know, cost of living is low. It's easy to build here for that reason. It also is easy to build if you, if you were looking at a deep tech startup, for example, because there's so much space, right? So there's, there's, there's no tight corridors, there's farmland everywhere, to be very honest here at least. And there's certainly a lot of space that (coughs) can be bought and commercialized. If you're looking to, to build something big here in physical, that's definitely a good thing. I think within certain ecosystems here in middle America, there's also quite a bit of support for each other, you know, founder to founder, I think in other ecosystems, specifically in Boston and New York where I've really gotten trenched, there's not a lot of real direct personal mentoring. It's more investments into each other. Whereas I think here in middle America, it's more about. Hey, I know you as a person. I really like you as a person. I want to help you because I like you as a friend, right? So, that sort of uh, down to earth, treating people not as transactions is definitely uh, a big part of Middle America, and I think that's something that, frankly, is a good thing. It's not always a good thing to be personal with each other, but it's definitely good to know each other as people, not just as investments, right? So, that's definitely something that's that's going great. I would say one other thing that. It's probably good about this ecosystem is that it's not as crowded. So if you are building something and you really are onto something, you may not get you may not get noticed by you know Andreessen or Sequoia right off the bat. But you will certainly draw the attention of multiple midwestern firms here that are looking for some great founders and great ideas. So it's not as hard to get noticed, I think, within Middle America if you're building in the middle.
1: Makes total sense. And what could we be doing better? What are you seeing that needs to be improved or what could we be doing more of?
2: Well, pretty much everything. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I think, uh, oh man, there's a lot. Let's start at the most fundamental level here, right? Why, why does middle America struggle with entrepreneurship as much compared to other ecosystems, right? And you cannot answer that question without acknowledging the fact that we are not as developed when it comes to government funding and, and, and other types of attention that other states have, right? So politically, sociologically, it's very different here compared to California, and New York, right? Very important to acknowledge that. There's also less people here, right? So unless you get more people here and you're, allow, you're allowing states to cultivate talent and, and there's a talent pool for founders to, to draw upon, it's always going to be tough to be wanting to build here. So those who are rather structural. I don't know if you can fix those, right? As, as founders, it takes a network to do that. It doesn't take just one person. And so it's important to acknowledge that. It's definitely something we can be, do, we can be doing better. Now, I think what, there's one thing that I think most people could be doing better here, not just entrepreneurs, but people in general that make enough income here should be thinking about how to invest their wealth, not save their wealth. I think. One of the key things that I've noticed living here versus New York or Boston is that people are really hesitant to put money outside their own wallets. So whether it's investing in companies in the stock market or wanting to do commercial real estate projects or any type of financial sort of venture, people just don't have the same appetite. They don't want to give away their money. And I think that could also be related to some other structural factors I was talking about, where they might be distrustful of government, they might be distrustful of certain things, right? So there's that mindset shift that needs to change and it only comes through, I think, education. So giving people the skills to understand what are good investments so they can see like why it would work. And then also working with the younger generation. So I've been focusing a lot of my time talking to students, talking to younger founders to try to get them to understand the importance of investing back into the community and investing back into people that are also building. Right. So I think having that mentality shift between saving to investing is really important, we can definitely be doing better. And I think it starts with the younger generation and, and education in general. So yeah, I, I would say, you know, that's really important Last thing in terms of what we could be lasting in terms of what we, what we could be doing better would just be having successful founders reinvest. Back into founders or potential founders in their own co- in their own companies that have exited. So, for example, Equipment Share is a unicorn here in Columbia, Missouri. Right? They employ over 500 people now. It would be great if Equipment Share, at least the founding team, could help fund startups or or certain potential founders that want to build their own companies after the company exits. Right? So, having founders reinvest in great people that they've worked with after an exit. Is really important and something we see a lot about. Uh, we see a lot of in Silicon Valley. So, yeah, I think generally speaking, those are things we could be doing better. Yeah, I think at the
0: root of those, a lot of that is just appetite for risk. And you know, on the coast and in New York and in Boston, like what you're mentioning, it's just a different, a different thing. People are able to see very clearly when companies are succeeding and there's capital flowing into the pockets of the investors. You know, it's a lot easier for them to equate. Okay, if I put my money into this, I might actually make something back. I don't think that's something that we've seen as frequently here in middle America, although it is happening more often. So hopefully the, the mindset is is shifting there. Um, So, so last question here, as we wind this up uh, and we just want to talk about where is middle America going into the future uh, in relation to both the pros and cons that we've just talked about, what kind of trend are you seeing in middle America right Hmm. now?
2: I think more people are moving here, generally speaking, than before remote work is helping. I think it'll be even easier than we think than we think it is today to build a company here, especially in software. I think people are, are just going to start building their own apps and products, and that's going to be great. It's going to definitely going to stimulate more of the ecosystem around here. I'm not sure if we will see any top tier VCs in the near term look to set up operations here. That is still a bit far off in terms of what we're capable of, but I certainly don't I, I certainly think if we look at a big picture, twenty or thirty years from now, right, talking like super, super, super long, long term, I think it's inevitable that people are going to come back to the Midwest as we deal with climate change, as we deal with increasingly less space on the coast, and so it's going to be a necessity for companies at some point in the very long term future to come back here, where there's just way more space to make to get things done. So, you know, near term. Not sure how much we're going to see that's different. I think you're going to see some more software companies pop up. It will be definitely great. Remote work is helping, but super long-term, I think people will be coming back here in droves.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Well, Jay, thank you so much for coming on here and taking the time to, to speak with us. We really appreciate all your insight and good luck as you get your new VC firm off the ground. If people would like to learn more, where where can they find you? Where can they go to to learn more?
2: Yeah, absolutely. If they want to learn more, they're happy to, to visit our website at countdown.capital or feel free to reach me on LinkedIn or on Twitter and just send me a message and I'll, I'll message you back.